Hello and welcome to 15-Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. I'm one of your co-hosts, Efosa Honba. I'm joined by my other co-host, Nicholas Matanda Musoke. Unfortunately, Farai and Krithi couldn't join us today. How are you doing today, Nick? Hi, Efosa, man. I'm doing good. Doing well. Ready to talk about our usually interesting topics. Keen to get it out, you know, like to wrap up the series. I think it's going to be a good one. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. Still staying safe in these COVID times. Thankfully, I'm still, you know, breathing well, still, you know, active, still going to work. So we thank God for that. Saturating well. Definitely. Well, I haven't checked my stats in a while, but I haven't felt any untoward feelings. So I think I'm good. Sure. Let's get down to business. Today, we'll be talking about protecting your peace. It's in tune with the overarching theme that we've been talking about in our last couple of episodes about dealing with toxic seniors, dealing with toxic colleagues. Overall, it's just about how to protect yourself and yourself as sane as possible in the work environment. So just to recap on some of the positive points or takeaway points from our previous episodes about dealing with toxic seniors, dealing with toxic colleagues, one of the most important things we mentioned was effective communication. So that's with your colleagues and that's with seniors, setting the dynamic, understanding who they are and all of that. Nick, do you have any other points that you wanted to remind us of or remind our listeners of? Yeah, so definitely I think communication was a big one. Our summary of what communication means or like our small little tidbits on the summaries aren't going to do the podcast anywhere near justice. But I think two things that were very, very important and big take-home messages was teamwork and managing expectations. Teamwork in the sense that whether you consider it in a smaller group with a senior, for example, a firm, or whether you consider it in a bigger group, such as your, you know, your collective internship group, you are still effectively working in a team and you need to have all systems or aspects of the team functioning to have a fit and firing healthy team. And just in the sense of managing expectations, it was just a, you know, you don't really know what, what those in and around the team are going through or if they're feeling pressure from the top or, I mean, external factors, of course, but also managing, you know, their expectations of you and your expectations of the people who you work with. Yeah, definitely. And I think all those things contribute to a healthy working environment. And I think that's what's the most important thing for your peace, for your mental health, for your sanity as a healthcare professional you don't want to just survive work you know you don't want to just say i'm going to work i'm just surviving just holding on you want to actually say that i'm thriving at work i'm enjoying going to work i feel like work is filling and i think that's the the sweet spot that every doctor in my opinion i feel like we're all trying to find that sweet spot of fulfillment and peace while working hard and doing the best for our patients yeah absolutely so yeah, Nick, what are some of the things you do to protect your peace? Before lockdown, I definitely say that exercising was one of the ways that I used to protect my peace. And I think exercising is one of the ways I've used to protect my peace long before I started working, actually, you know, even during my student and studying days, I think exercise became such a big part of my life in high school. And then it became a release during university. So I mean, I used to travel off of campus to get to the gym, for example. And you can argue that it takes like, you know, the time taken to get to the gym, then you must work out and you must come back, you know, and trying to settle into a rhythm. But I found that like exercising as a main heading and sort of the, the escape. So leaving my current area, my current environment was a good way to sort of reset and take stock and 
you know, just get out of the, the thicket of work, be it studying or work itself. So exercising was a big one. Yeah, it's, it's tough to say specifically, but I mean, it's, it's sort of like those small things. Like I would, I would argue that protecting your peace is about those small things that you do that make you happy and off just for you, you know? What do you do to protect your peace? I'd actually say like pretty much the same kind of thing with exercise. Like exercise was also a big part of my life and it still is like throughout high school, varsity, like varsity, like almost there was not a year in varsity. I didn't play a sport or had some form of regular exercise or team sport, you know, just prayer meditation. Mm. And very recently, I've also been finding myself, I sit in the car, like after a long day of work, actually almost even, even if it's not a long day at work, sometimes I'll just find myself sitting in the car and just chilling can be 30, 40 minutes just to like, and it's kind of like what you said of like, just that separation, like just taking yourself away from the usual environment and like just switching off, so to say. Then there's all these other little Mm. things like, you know, that people talk about like self-care, like. I think that's the common term, you know, um, people use to, yeah. to term this kind of thing. But like, you know, every now and again, you know, a hike, you know, time with loved ones. I like the outdoors or nature, time with loved ones. Every now and again, a massage doesn't hurt. I hear you. No, for sure. I'm, I'm trying to stay away from my um, pseudo gaming addiction. So I'm not going to mention gaming as the things I do protect my, to, my, protect, to protect my peace. It's actually very interesting that you mentioned like this 30, 40 minutes that you take or this time out that you take in the car, you know, just to dive into that a little bit further. What are you doing? What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Is anything going through your mind? Well, it varies. So sometimes it'll, I'll just think about what I went through during the day at work or just at the day in general. Sometimes I'll just be on my phone, like literally on social media. Sometimes I'll just be like, I'll just chill, you know, like take a breath, you know, and just take it all in before going into the house. To follow up on that, have you heard of the concept of mindfulness? I have heard of the concept. I haven't really delved into like the particular details or I'm, I'm not sure if like I know the super, like I know it's about just reflecting and like really trying to be more aware of, you know, your experiences, but I haven't actually done mm. enough research about it. Mm. So it's interesting. It's just before I get into the, let me actually just give a definition for what, what mindfulness is. And this is straight off of Google. So mindfulness is the psychological process of purposefully bringing one's attention to experiences occurring in the present moment without judgment, which one develops through the practice of meditation and through other training. So the whole concept and idea of mindfulness, I mean, there's a lot of research out there. Um, there are people's life, life's work who are dedicated to this. So I'm definitely not going to be our chat about this is not really going to be representative of what mindfulness is as a whole. You know, there's definitely deep learning and um, deep self-learning in the sense that, you know, for you trying to get to grips with this concept for yourself. So there is that aspect to be done. And I think um, we'll probably make a few links available and I'm hoping it'll inspire a few Google searches, but the, the sort of key principle behind mindfulness is being in the present and it's nearly magnified in the sense that it's not sort of being in the present as in today is Tuesday. This is what I've got planned for my day. This is what I need to do. This, 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 this. It's, it's quite frankly being very microscopic about it and microscopic in the sense that, for example, you, if also are sitting in your car after work and 
you consider the things that are going on in that microcosm, in that, you know, that immediate present situation. So I, I, I then go back to an example. So when I was um, in my, I think it was my final year or my, yeah, it was my final rotation of family medicine. And there was a specific family physician at a unnamed hospital that brought this concept of mindfulness to me. You know, it was something that I'd never heard of before. Also being a student and having the stress of students and the stress of studenthood, you know, I couldn't care less, to be 100% honest. I was there to do what I could do to get as good of a mark, as positive a mark, you know, as I could and move on to the next one, you know, with the end game and the end goal being graduating. So it was quite interesting. And I think a few years now down the line, I realized that this guy was actually onto something not in the sense that he was the pioneer or like the founder of mindfulness, but he was onto something in sort of making the point of having doctors practice mindfulness. So what he used to do is that, so the, the hospital we did, did a few outreaches at like a few clin local clinics close to the actual hospital. So whether it would be as we got to the, the, the peripheral clinic, like before we stepped out and started the outreach or even just like a day to day, he tried to try to force, get us to practice this mindfulness on a daily basis. So that, he had a he had a like a like a sort of a, a podcast that's I could say a podcast or recording setup, and it would literally be two minutes of this voice sort of talking us through steps of appreciating mindfulness. So it went through sort of eyes closed, seated quietly, and reflecting on your immediately present current environment. So you're meant to start off and focus on your breath, you know, and listen to your breath. Take note of the inhaling, the exhaling. Move further out to your environment. Feel that you were sitting on a chair. Know what it felt like to have, you know, your bum on a chair, you know, and just have an appreciation for that feeling, which is something that we don't usually do. Take it a step further and just to feel your feet on the ground. So it's very much reflective. And some of the, the research and the, the, the reading that we've been doing behind it, they speak about kindness, you know, and basically being mindful with kindness. So it was quite interesting to practice this mindfulness and I think he maybe caught me two years before it would have been the most beneficial but yeah that was my experience of mindfulness and it's just taking into consideration your current situation like your immediately current situation so that's why I asked you what you were doing when you sit in the car you know so it's sort of I'm sitting in the car my back is rested up against the back of the car my hands are on or off the steering wheel I can feel the texture of the steering wheel you know I can feel the, the feeling of the floor of the car, the carpet under my feet, you know, the, the silence that's around me, my breath, my heartbeat, that kind of thing. So it was really taking the time out to be mindful of your current situation, you know, and remove yourself nearly from the fast-paced world and pace yourself into a situation where you were aware of the things immediately around you that you usually take for granted. So yeah, that was my experience of mindfulness. Oh, wow. That actually takes it a lot deeper and i think i'll actually maybe give it a try you know during my car sit downs post work but how did you how did it make you feel like how are those experiences for you when you actually did it yeah no definitely it's definitely worth a try i think actually maybe see if i could find i don't know like a few of the actual videos or what the the, the voiceovers for our listeners to maybe attach to but it made me it, it was extremely calming you know it was things that we generally take for granted. So to put it in a more relevant context for our time, you know, it's that feeling when you're walking back home or walking to your car at the end of the day or whatever, 
and you take off your mask, you know, and for that last few like steps before you get to your car, you experience this fresh air, this freshness that has always been around, you know, but you were never taking, taking it like into consideration because it was just always there, you know. So this practice of mindfulness, it's, it's deeply calming, I must say, no matter like how we try to make fun of it after, <laughs> after having a mindfulness session, it was deeply calming, deeply calming to just consider and listen to yourself breathe, take in every breath, take in the senses that are around you, take in the things that you hear, whether it's birds chirping or, um, you know, tuning into your other senses, like feeling yourself on a seat, feet to the ground, balancing yourself and making like getting this feeling of stability. So it was extremely calming. I mean, after, I mean, therefore, look for me for that two minutes or three minutes, it was extremely calming. And then it was back to the hustle and bustle of trying to, you know, get back into this academic vibe. I need to pass, I need to pass, I need to pass. But I think a big thing about that is that we only sort of practice mindfulness once a day when this guy was around and sort of forced us to. But I think it's a, it's a completely different and unique experience when you're doing it out of your own will, your own habit. And it's not necessarily something that only need, that can only be done once a day, twice a day, thrice a day, you know? So he actually mentioned practicing mindfulness before attempting a new task per se, you know? So he would have a sit down, have a moment with himself before he went in and started work. He was the clinical manager as well. And then as we drove off and got to this peripheral clinic before he tackled this new task, you know, of having to go in and deal with a different population, different allied health workers, he'd also sit down and take a, you know, a moment in consideration there. So it's nearly like taking a moment and a breath to prepare yourself, taking into account where your current setting is and not, not allowing anything to overwhelm you. Hmm. Oh, wow. That sounds really beneficial. Definitely going to try start putting it into practice. And speaking of like taking every breath, you know, and really appreciating every breath, I think it's something more important now in these COVID times, you know, you know, yes. like just breathing well is very, very, very important and taken for granted these days. Mm. Anyway, swiftly moving on. <laughs> Other ways to protect your peace. A big thing that comes to me, and I think it was actually brought up by you, and I realized that I've been practicing it without actually <laughs> giving it a name, but it's after hours availability. What do you think about that? Yeah, that thing is very, very important. Just that thing of maybe switching off, not like leaving work at work, not allowing work to, you know, infiltrate. Let's say you're off, you're not on call, you, everything is sorted on your side. You don't need to, you know, answer your phone. And that sometimes I think mm. it's important to actually just be like, actually, it's not my thing. Like, I'm not going to answer this call and I know it's from work. And speaking of that, I actually had a call like at 5 a.m. this morning from work. You know, and sometimes that happens. Maybe like you forget to write, like they, you forget to erase your name off the board or on the call list or something and they'll call you. And, you know, sometimes it's just like in the past, I've answered the phone and be like, I'm not on call. Please call someone else. But sometimes I yeah. just like, yo, you just don't have the capacity anymore to like take all these calls all the time, especially coming from an environment mm -hmm. where your phone is constantly ringing all the time. When you're at home, you just want to have peace. You know, and sometimes I'm sure some of my colleagues have even mentioned that like they, their ringtone gives them anxiety sometimes, you know? So mm. just trying to like, in a sense, protect your peace, quote unquote, and like leave all that stress, all that pressure, all that hustle and bustle where it's meant to be at, at work and not bring it into your household and not bring it into where you're supposed to get rest and recover and recuperate. So I think it's very important. Yeah. Like in med school, I actually used to like, 
I used to turn my phone off at night and I think maybe I should start doing that again, like completely off. Hectic. Like no one was going to able to reach me like whatsoever. So I might need to start doing that again. Wow. wow. That's intense. I think that also then feeds into the bigger picture. And I've, you've mentioned it in passing is leaving work at work, you know? And I think from, from my side, I find it extremely difficult to leave work at work. So, or yeah, aspects of leaving work at work. So I, I do, I do sometimes take sympathy with the caller and tend to answer the phone after hours just to let them know that, look, it's not me who's on call. It's someone else. Or, you know, I'm not the person who's responsible. Try someone else. Um, but I'm not going to lie. It varies from day to day. You can either get me in a good mood and I'll be like, I'll be able to direct you to the correct person or you'll catch me in the foulest of moods. And I'll be like, you know, I don't understand why are you calling me? You know, is it, it's on the call roster that hasn't changed since the beginning of the month. And I mean, for example, if, I mean, for the people who think we are over-exaggerating, because we might be to an extent, but I mean, that's, that's, that's the environment that we're working in. But I mean, for example, on the 25th, I want to see what date that was. On the 25th Saturday. of this month. I know. Yeah, Saturday the 25th. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I just want to correlate and make sure that I'm talking about the right date. Yes. Yeah. So Saturday the 25th of July was also a Saturday on the 25th of April, right? So for us all interns who are going out, we're working on four-month cycles. So the 25th of April, I was in a different department doing a different call um, at a completely different stage, you know? So I was, I'm now currently in, in the Department of Internal Medicine, but at that time I was at the, in the Department of Pediatrics. And I'm sure it was a call where I was doing a neonates call. And I got this phone call that didn't look like the normal internal medicine ward numbers, you know? So and I was feeling pretty, it was, a, it was a happy day, you know, that are you feeling lucky on Google thing? I was feeling pretty happy. So I took the call and it was, all I heard was, hello, doctor, it's this blah, 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 sister calling from labor ward. That's the only thing that I remembered. I was like, sister calling from labor ward. We've got a baby. No, 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 no. Will you please come and assess? And I was just, in my back of my mind, I was just like, labor ward? Internal medicine? Yeah. Baby? What a con. You know? <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, these two could, these two things could not be any further apart from one another, you know? And in the back of my mind, I was like, sister, or are they not in the back of the mind, in the front of my mind and out of my mouth? I was like, sister, I'm not on internal, like I'm not in pediatrics anymore. I left four months ago or three months ago. And then, you know, it's, it's the, it's what, what gets you. And I think what riles us up is the, oh, but doctor, I'm looking at the call roster and this is what it's saying. And in the back of the mind, I'm like, you were looking at a call roster from months ago, you know, either from months ago or someone has made an extremely horrible typo. But, you know, if this was a life or death situation, you're calling someone who could not be further away from the department, could not be further away from the hospital. So, yeah, this thing of, of leaving your work at work, how do you do it? Because I, I definitely struggle. I think for, especially now during lockdown, you know, look, I wouldn't go out and say that I'm the most interesting person in the world, but I think work is, it's sort of become a part of me. Being a doctor has become a part of me. And because we can't go out and, you know, go to the movies, go out and, you know, have a drink at a restaurant or, you know, go, go out on a, like a weekend getaway type thing. I think I've been finding it very difficult to leave work at work. How do you leave work at work? You know, it's part of your daily. It's what you experience from eight until four every single day. How, how can you leave work at work if that's what you're doing Monday to Friday, eight to, eight to four? I think it's extremely difficult and I don't, I don't think I've mastered it yet. I'm still trying to get there, you know, but I think it's also mm. difficult given the nature of our profession. You know, we have lives at stake and 
people's livelihoods and health at stake because also if you're not healthy you can't work and you can't work you can't support yourself or your family so sometimes mm-hmm. it gets deeper than that and then you're like okay like it becomes hard not to like maybe check results you know at home or you know when you yes. have a moment yes yes but i think yeah, it's something no. we may need to actually try and and master be in control of the things you you can control and do as much as possible to influence the things that you can and then the things that you can't control you just have to accept that you can't i think getting to that point because i think sometimes it's a lot of like you may be trying to have this overwhelming sense of control you know over your patient or over how your patient is going to turn out in the sense and sometimes you just can't influence an outcome more than what you've already done and i think we also need yeah. to forgive ourselves you know and allow ourselves you know that we can't you know influence everything and control everything yeah no 100 percent agree maybe as a closing note for the topic of protecting your peace it's something that i didn't necessarily think about the one day but it's just sort of what came out of my mind while i was speaking to one of my fellow interns he's a first year intern and i think we're sort of luckier as second year interns because we would have known the system for a year you know known when to get a bit more angry and know when to be a bit more reserved and look for another way around a certain difficult situation. But what I said to him the one day is you need to look out for yourself. You know, you need to protect yourself because there's only one of you, you know, and that I think sums up, or for me, at least it sums up the whole idea of protecting your peace is that in the same way that you have a responsibility to your patients, a responsibility to your employer, you also need to realize that there is only one of you, you know, and if you let you stop taking care of yourself you stop you know being cognizant of the one of you you know then it's not under anybody else's job no one else is particularly interested per se you know you you might end up losing the one of you that there is to to the work and you know once you do that then obviously you go from one minus one to none yeah so just moving on to a different aspect of the the podcast as a whole and wrapping up the series we thought a big thing is taking responsibility you know if also would you like to take us through yeah so i think it's also important that we take responsibility for as you mentioned as you just mentioned now actually about taking care of yourself you know taking resp- yeah. like really taking care of yourself and protecting yourself because as sad as it sounds like they will like if you're not available sometimes they will make a plan like you know as they always have like as they have in, in these times when a colleague falls sick because of COVID or has to do something or has to isolate or whatever. They make a plan. Someone covers the call. Someone, as much as it like also tougher your colleagues, they some they make a plan, but you don't want to be the person Absolutely. falling sick. You don't want to be the yeah. person falling sick because your immune system is down because you're so tired and overworked and because you're not taking care of yourself. And I think yeah. also like from a mental health care point of view, like if you are like struggling like seeking help. And I think it's important to seek help or to allow yourself to, to get help. And I think it's something also as a profession, as a whole, we are culpable in the, the way we not allow our colleagues to be vulnerable to, to take a day or yes. you know, to take a day off. Or like, and sometimes we just need a day. Like, you know, I've felt many days throughout my medical career where I've just like, I've woken up and like, it would be really nice to not have to go to mm. work today. And just yes, sir. breathe, you know, and just rest and like recuperate and gather myself and I'll be really ready to go again the next day. But sometimes that really can't happen. And it brings me to this 
one podcast I listened to. It was quite a short one, but we'll share the link in the comments of this episode. And it was this girl from the United States, and she was talking about how growing up, her mother allowed her to take two days off per semester at school as a personal day or mental health care day. And how that like helped her and improved her, her like her performance at school once that was instituted. And even just the fact that she said sometimes she wouldn't even use the two days per semester. Sometimes she'd go a whole semester and she'd be completely fine. And just yeah. the fact that the reassurance that she knows that she has a day to fall or two to fall back on if she still needs help and that also com- provided a comfort. And she said she ended up championing this initiative in the schools in her state and it did improve the the performances of the high schools that were involved. Mm-hmm. And I think, and they also instituted a system where they actually, if you do need more than two days, you have to prove that you've sought help. You've gone to see a, a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. You've gone to yeah. seek out help if you're going to need more than two days yeah. off. But there was that two days off where you just no questions asked. You're just going to say, I'm taking mm-hmm. my mental health care day or my personal day. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as like, our system doesn't have the capacity for that. I think, you know, our healthcare system is quite strained and when one person's off, we all feel it. But I think it's something to think about and something I think we all do need, you know, personally. Yeah, yeah. no, I 100% agree with you. I mean, imagine the peace of mind nearly and the, and the, the, the commitment, you know, imagine knowing that in the space of whatever a semester is, let's say, or let's, let's bring it to let's say a rotation, the space of this four month rotation, you know, if I need a day or two off just to recollect myself, just to reboot, just to restart, imagine the peace of mind knowing that those days are there, you know, it's not coming from your annual leave. It's not going to be a sick leave. It's not going to be a stressful thing. You don't need to bring a doctor's note. If you need a day or two at any point, it's there. You know, I'm just, it's so, it's, it's so progressive. It nearly blows my mind. You know what I'm saying? Because then you know that for the rest of the days, while you're in and around, you can go hard, you know, you can work hard, play hard, be as available, be as intense, as intensive, you know, it's, it's really, you can fully commit yourself knowing that should you need this opportunity off, it's available to you without the usual, yes, but do you know how many people you were letting down? Yes, but without you there, this, this, and that happened. Oh, but look how many people you inconvenienced. So it's, it's really, I think it's such a progressive and like phenomenal concept to be able to have that time off, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think also just in terms of just the overall work environment, we talked earlier about teamwork. And I think it's important that we, if we can't make work, like obviously we just actually, we just mentioned leaving work at work. Because obviously work is high pressure, it's stressful, you're always on your feet, or at least in certain rotations. And I think if there's a way to make work better, that also definitely helps a lot. So what we talked Mm. about in the last two episodes about our toxic colleagues, but also just in terms of our healthcare team as a whole, from the nursing to allies, everybody having an effective team that works well together, supports each other. You know, I think that's also very important in terms of the healthcare environment, you know, and I think making mm. and protecting the peace and taking care of ourselves because we also need to take care of each other as colleagues, you know, and yeah, as absolutely. fellow healthcare workers. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it nearly like it ties into the whole thing, you know, if we're speaking about the broader concept of taking responsibility, just to sort of add on to um, the whole knowing that you have mental days available. I think it's, it's beautiful. The only way that I can describe it is that it's actually beautiful to consider that if you're now taking more than these two days off, you need to sort of show proof or bring some sort of proof that you've gone and sought out the help that you need. You know, I mean, it's, it's nothing short of beautiful. Yes, it's no one's business. You know, you don't have to say what you discussed in the specific session or whatever, but it's the fact that you've taken more than the days that we have deemed okay for you to take off. And because we want you back and to be part of this functioning team, because we want you back, you need to make sure that you get the help that you need and you deserve so that you can come back and contribute to this team. You know, and I really like how you've now brought it in and spoken about the team is that's because you as an individual, so whether it's you, the intern, you, the registrar, you, the nurse, you, the OT, you, the physiotherapist, you actually need to take responsibility for your role in, you know, a health team, you know, and that means building and maintaining relationships. You know, that means, you know, trying to stay clear of whether the cleaners are busy mopping on the one side, because you know that their role, you know, I mean, if they don't come to the ward and clean up, then effectively clean up your mess, then you're going to be working in an unsanitized and sanitary department or area, you know? So it's about building and establishing how you're going to work as a team. And as the intern, you're very, very often the backbone of the team. So you might not be doing the life-saving surgeries. You might not be making the fundamental decisions on management, but you're still part of the team in the sense that you execute a lot of the paperwork. And maybe from a medical point of view, as opposed to a surgical point of view, you execute a lot of the management, you know? So really, I think in, in terms of building and maintaining a functional team and it's nearly like a call to all interns and it's happened to me before in fact this year this year or last year in that you being the primary paper pusher for example or the 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 person who's in charge of admin you need to sort of stamp your authority on this team and say look guys this is what needs to be done this is how i do it and we're going to get to the same end product as opposed to listening to for example registrar and if i could whisper it a consultant but I mean, saying that, listen, I like to use, for example, the big thing for me was I like to use a certain application that is useful with regards to managing patients and patient lists, you know, as opposed to using a piece of paper. And some people are old school and would rather use a piece of paper. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the person who needs to be keeping track of the patients, keeping track of where people are, this, that, and the other, it's a lot more beneficial for you to be, for you, the intern, to be as comfortable as possible as it is for the registrar to be comfortable. You know, things are still the same. It's still going to be a folder number, patient details, date of birth, blah, blah, blah. But I think in terms of how you execute your task, if you as the main admin runner, the backbone, the executor, if you're not comfortable in a, in a specific way of working, then there's no ways that you are going to be able to keep things together because you're not familiar with the system that you're being forced to work in. So I think that's also important. And I think it boils down to taking responsibility in your role in a functioning team and knowing when to sort of stand up for yourself and knowing when to maybe back down a little bit and knowing how to approach certain situations and how to, you know, get your ideas through and across. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's some very good points there. And I think that's very important just finding the most efficient way of doing things. Because also, I think a lot of the times where I've also been in quite frustrating work environments or environments where I'm really not okay or not enjoying work is also when things are just not efficient. Like we're wasting time on something that could take like 20 minutes of taking 
40 minutes just because of inefficiency. And I think what you yeah. mentioned there also helps with that. Inefficiency also contributes to that overall stress and pressure and mm. just a toxic sort of environment. And I think going back also just talking about us as colleagues being like responsible to one another, the stigma of mental health, you know, that is involved. I know we always, there's always this campaign about like crazy socks for dogs, you know, and all of that, trying to yeah. raise awareness, remove stigma. And all of that is given, especially the high like suicide rates among physicians. I think it's also mm. important that we actually practice what we preach in the sense that if a colleague, allow colleagues to be vulnerable, you know, allow colleagues yeah. to be like, hey, like I am, I'm struggling a little bit. I think I need a day off, you know, because that's always the thing that we have this, the culture of medicine, you have to be strong. You have to be on a hundred, a hundred percent of the time. And that just like creates, it just creates a vicious cycle, I believe. And I just wanted to read this like excerpt from a systematic review and meta-analysis titled Suicide Among Physicians and Healthcare Workers, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And this is from the conclusion. And I think it's just something we can, I think we need to reflect on. The high risk of suicide in physicians might be explained by several putative factors, such as psychosocial working environment or specific personality traits of physicians. Psychosocial work environment has been shown in the literature as an important risk factor. Doctors being confronted to conflicts with colleagues, lack of cohesive teamwork, and lack of social support, leaving them individually. Physicians must also routinely face breaking bad news and are in frequent contact with illness, anxiety, suffering, and death. Perfectionism, compulsive attention to detail, exaggerated sense of duty, excessive sense of responsibility, desire to please everyone, are qualities in the workplace, are appreciated qualities in the workplace, but increase stress and depression, and imprison physicians in a vicious cycle without seeking help. They also prevent themselves to ask for help because of the culture of medical education. I feel like that is quite a, you know, an expose on, on, on most of us, <laughs> if not all of us, you know. Mm, you know? No, it really is. When you think about the fact that you know, as as a medical professional, you're dealing with these things. It's it's these things that just become part of the job that, you know, sort of fly over your head as, oh, I need to go and speak to another patient. Oh, this person's not doing well. So I think it it really is it's it's a huge consideration, you know, to try and remove the stigma towards mental health, do our part to remove the stigma towards mental health and to, you know, be empathetic with our colleagues and empathetic with ourselves, you know, and realizing that everybody, it's, it's like if I have to go back to the beginning of, of what we were saying, it's about the whole seeking help, you know, and it's, it's, it's really about sort of an accountability and a you owe it to yourself to make sure that you are okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I think we just mm-hmm. all need to help one another, you know, and really support one another. I think that lack of support is really important, you know. Sometimes the work environment can feel quite isolating and i think even worse now in covid times because there's less you know social events like less even like at work you know because some departments used to have friday lunches things like that where like everyone gets together just to like de-stress chat and you know and then that all become Mm. that's all gone away now so like we even have to work harder now in these times yeah no true very very true i mean i on the topic of work though as well is that 
it's when I say when we say because the broader topic we're discussing now is taking responsibility. So on the topic of work as well, it's not to say that you know you should be downing tools and you know if you're not if you're not feeling well or if you are not wanting to do this that or the other or you feel like you are personally overworked that you should down tools. But it, it, it sort of ties into the overall themes of the different topics in the previous podcast as part of the series. Is that while we are saying definitely look after yourself, there is only one of you also recognize when you need help you know and don't be afraid and don't don't make it a negative culture of having to ask for help but in the same breath you know recognize what is your work and recognize that when when people do come to help that they're not there to do your work you know they're there to help so just because the cavalry has arrived doesn't mean you should pack up you know pack up shop and put your feet up and rest you know it means that you've got this teamwork going you've got the show of support and camaraderie going so you know don't abuse the fact that the, the cavalry has arrived you know rather appreciate the cavalry and show your appreciation towards those who have come to help you in this in like a difficult time where you have a lot more work to do or where you you know you can't do a particular call and you need to swap out so it's 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 also about being thankful and appreciating and that goes a long way into breaking sort of the old school mentalities. It goes a long way in showing your appreciation for those who have come to actually help you. Yeah, definitely. And I think we have to also acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge when there is help that we also not take advantage, so to say, because sometimes Farai has ranted about, you know, obviously he's not here, but to give a, a full account, but about colleagues taking advantage of that, you know, of when you help them, then like, they're always going to be like taking your help or asking for help or leaving some work for you to do when it's the other way around, they know where to be found, you know, I yeah, think that's yeah. also important you know, that we all just help each other and support one another. Like, I mean, if we don't take care of ourselves and our colleagues, you know, who, who's going to do it, you know? Yeah. Maybe just as a sort of closing, closing thought from my side, at least it's a, it's a nice little acronym that, sort of ties into the concept of mindfulness that we previously spoke about. And I think it really, it helps you tie everything in together, even if you sort of extend the mindfulness into your work for the day or your, your, your working sphere. So the acronym is RAIN, R-A-I-N, that is R for recognize what's going on, A for allow the experience to be there just as it is, I investigate with kindness, N, natural awareness, which comes from Sorry, natural awareness, which comes from not identifying with the experience. So really, just as a closing thought from my side, I think it's really important to, you know, you can use that acronym in any situation. You don't necessarily have to be sitting quietly in a car. You can use that to investigate and practice or like work through any situation, you know, from a colleague asking you to come and help, you know, so you recognize what's going on and you you, you know, you allow, you allow the experience to be there and you investigate it with kindness and that you don't think to yourself, oh, this person is just wanting me to do their work, you know, or they just, they just stopped me from leaving early, you know, it's really that deeper taking that extra step in recognizing what is going on. So yeah, from my side, personally, as well as that, I'm going to be practicing a bit more mindfulness. And I think I'm also going to be taking a bit more responsibility in the workspace, you know, and trying to recognize my role in in conflict so my role in conflict with colleagues my role in conflict with seniors and just recognizing my role going forward in terms of creating a better functioning team 
that is happy to be and happy to work together, you know, in order to benefit those who we're working for, which is ultimately our patients. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm definitely also going to take quite a bit away from this conversation. Definitely going to practice a lot more mindfulness and maybe in our next episode, next season, we'll, I'll give a report back on how that's been going. Homework. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the listeners, you know, remember or I remember. And yeah, I think we've spoken quite a bit about this and obviously we can go on for hours and hours if we wanted to. There's just so much to unpack. And I think it's given us and our listeners something to reflect on. And I think that's where we can close it off for now. Do you have anything else to say? Anything else to add, Nick? Yeah, no, I think we've covered everything. There's nothing else that I'd like to add. Good season, good podcast. All right. I think that's where we'll leave it for now. To our listeners, if there's anything you'd like to add anything, you, any comments, any thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode wraps up Season 2 of 15 Minute Medicine. We'll be back in the coming months for more relevant and enjoyable content. Thank you so much for your support. And let us continue to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. Mm-hmm.